Hey, I'm Todd Lippi, the editor of Asopus, a nonprofit arts publication based in New York City. Uh, I'm deep into production on our next issue, Asopus 22 Medicine. Uh, it'll hit newsstands in May. Uh, the issue features contributions from more than 60 artists, writers, musicians, filmmakers, archivists, designers, uh, and last but not least, certainly medical professionals. The idea was to delve deeply into the many connections between creativity and medicine. And the issue's contents will include everything from facsimile reproductions of William Carlos Williams's prescription pads, on which the poet and doctor often scribbled notes for poems, essays, plays, uh, to 100 frames from the classic 1970 documentary Hospital by acclaimed filmmaker Frederick Wiseman. I took some time this week to speak with three contributors to the issue, interior designer Thomas Junker Jensen, contemporary artist Melissa Meyer, and musician Ann Watts, the founder and lead singer of Baltimore-based band Boyster. Asopus has always been committed to bringing together contributors and readers in productive, meaningful ways. And, and one particularly successful approach we've had for this has been our subscriber invitationals. Uh, we'll invite readers to contribute material ranging from descriptions of their imaginary childhood friends to their favorite personal photograph. And then we'll invite contributors to use this material to create songs, artworks, and all kinds of other content for any particular issue. Asopus 22 features two invitationals. Uh, for one, we asked readers to supply subjective descriptions of a recent ailment they've suffered. Uh, these are then being interpreted by medical illustration students at the University of Illinois Chicago, and they'll appear in the issue along with the descriptions. Uh, for the issue's second invitational, we invited our readers to describe the perfect medical waiting room. Uh, we then sent these submissions to interior designer Thomas Junker Jensen, who is the principal and founder of JIDK Furniture and Interior Design. I visited Thomas, whose clients include BuzzFeed, Fiden Press, uh, and the Ellison Medical Foundation, at his downtown Manhattan office the other morning. I'm sitting here with Thomas Junker Jensen, who very kindly agreed to uh, participate in the next issue by rendering Asopus subscribers ideas for the perfect medical waiting room. Uh, so we had a bunch of subscribers uh, submit their ideas. They were kind of fantastic. They were very, very funny, very creative, very all-encompassing. And uh, Thomas did this incredible series of renderings that I, I literally want to live in this waiting room, not just wait in it. Um, how did you come up? How did you, first of all, find the suggestions? Were they easy to work with? How did you kind of assimilate them into this drawing? Well, um, because we had a little bit of time, I basically just let them, I let them bounce around my head for a couple of weeks while we were just, you and me were talking about things uh -huh. and just sort of trying to get a, a taste of all of these ideas. And then I, I drew an imaginary floor plan to see if that would help me sort of puzzle in these ideas. Uh -huh. So instead of just starting in one corner, I said, well, you know, putting the reception off to one side could be one thing. Let's put a sick bay over here for the people with contagious diseases, uh -huh. then maybe have a kid's room over here. And that sort of just organically evolved into the floor plan. And then it, the renderings came afterwards. You know, I was fascinated that so many people mention separate spaces for sick or contagiously sick and well people. And that seems like to me such an obvious thing to do in a medical doctor's waiting room, yeah. but it's, I've almost never seen that in a waiting room of you. I mean, it seems very... I don't think I've, I've ever seen it either. I, I, it is surprising to me how something as simple as that sh couldn't or shouldn't be incorporated into particularly 
you know, at flu season, you just don't want to go near a doctor's office, right? Correct. So any ideas uh, you found particularly uh, winning or easy to render? or? Well, I think we could try to cover almost all the ideas because they were all fun and they were all creative. And I think if you like study little corners of the drawings, you'll find the voodoo doll. And right. And, uh... <laughs> yes, one reader actually <laughs> said they should have voodoo doll of one of the doctors there to stick pins in. <laughs> I think they could have a great stress relief. Uh, function, uh, right. uh, or you could just use it to pinpoint where it actually hurts. Right. It could be an educational tool. <laughs> uh, I thought they were all, they were all great ideas. I, I think f- in terms of organizing the ideas, the most convenient was, was trying to break it down by function. So uh-huh. you had the, the family area, the area with kids, the area with people who were contagiously sick, uh-huh. and then the, the, the people who wanted to do active waiting. Right. So to have those categories m- sort of made it easier to organize the uh-huh. space and then from there on i think there was there was more about adding the fun mm-hmm. the entertaining things mm-hmm. that waiting rooms lack and the beauty i mean this is a beautiful space there are beautiful patterns there's a lot of light there's you know i'm sure deliberately very shiny glossy floors which reflect light and yeah. and the patterns and the colors of the gorgeous aquarium several mm-hmm. subscribers had that suggestion yeah. it's a big beautiful aquarium in the middle of the space um i noticed that everything is divided like it looks like glass walls and glass doors that open, slide open, and slide shut. That's a, also a great idea in that it, it doesn't make you feel like you're closed off. But several subscribers also mentioned the reception area should be separate, yeah. physically separate from the main area, so you don't hear nurses and receptionists talking about patients, yeah. or you know, which is not appealing, obviously, if you're a patient or a nurse for I that matter. Thought there might be an so try to introduce a new way to check in where you have maybe an automated machine. We can check in and say, I'm here. Right. There's really no need to go tell a person that you have arrived at your scheduled time. By the way, that's your idea. I don't think any subscriber came up with that one. I'm not sure. Maybe the, maybe the local pastry shop came up with that. <laughs> but there's really no reason to check in, to stand in line twice right. or check in twice. You right. check in, you go to the waiting area, and then you get called up uh-huh. to the reception counter. And I think at that point, it's like where you could close the doors behind you yeah. and have a confidential conversation with the people in the reception. Which I would I would see it as a, as enormous benefit yeah. to this layout it's because it, it's a very awkward spot. You give your social security number, Ugh. you tell people about yeah. your illnesses, yeah. and it doesn't Not good. S- no, it doesn't seem right. And I also noticed that just as you mentioned the voodoo doll, there's some whimsical suggestions as well, and you did incorporate a lot of them. I actually see a, I believe that's a copy of a sofas on the uh, coffee right. table yeah. next <laughs> to the voodoo doll, which is <laughs> great. Um, I love all that. We've got c- computers where people can access while they're waiting. Um, beautiful furniture. I, th- I think you actually got in the Mies uh, Daybed. Was the there? Mies Daybed? I, th- I thought it was a great suggestion. Yeah. You are not feeling well, and this would be in the, in the sick bay. Why not lie down for a few minutes? Exactly. It doesn't bother anyone if people think it's odd that you're lying down in a public space. It's more their problem than yours. And you have it also in a very private area, sort of blocked from view yes. from everybody else, which yes. is great in that sick room area. Yeah. Um, it's just terrific. It makes me almost want to get sick, but not quite. <laughs> I'm so excited for readers to, to see it in a couple of months. Um, and thank you for participating. Oh, it was, it was absolutely a pleasure. Uh, so, so many fun ideas. And I wish... Uh, I wish uh, more clients had that range of ideas. <laughs> well, let's, let's hope some medical clients do. I think they should. <laughs> Thank you. The backbone of every issue of Asopus is its contemporary artist projects. Each of these can take up to 16 pages, sometimes even more. 
and they often involve the use of specialty inks and papers, foldouts, posters, even handmade removable objects. Past contributors have included well-known figures such as Jenny Holzer, John Baldessari, and Ed Ruscha, along with a range of emerging artists from New York and around the world. For Asopus 22, we invited six artists, Nina Kachadurian, Teresa Matis, Melissa Meyer, Fred Tomaselli, William Villalongo, and Martin Wilner to create projects that would somehow reference the issue's medical theme. I recently visited Melissa Meyer in her Midtown Manhattan studio to talk about the process behind her particular project. Meyer has been exhibited around the world since the early 1970s, and her work is in the collections of institutions such as MoMA, the Guggenheim, and the Metropolitan Museum. She's also the author of Fimage, an influential essay about pioneering female collage artists written with Miriam Shapiro in the feminist journal Heresies in 1978. I'm sitting here in Melissa Meyer's studio. Melissa is an incredible artist, painter, collagist, draftswoman, etc. Thank you. Um, and I guess, what, about eight or nine months ago, we met, I think, in an Esopus launch party. Is that no, right? No, no, no. I approached you to look at my father's oh, menu right. collection. That's right, that's right, and that's right. And then it turned out that you had a copy of my book that the Met published. That's right, exactly. A friend gave that beautiful, beautiful oh, book of watercolors. Yeah. Thank, you. Um, Thank you. And I knew of you, obviously, and, and because Esopus loves to publish facsimile reproductions of amazing things, I arranged to meet you, and we came over, and we looked through the menus, and they were beautiful, but they were too big, didn't odd fit. sizes it just yeah. never would have worked right. but while we were here <laughs> <laughs> Melissa said hey you know what? my father was a was a well-known dentist and orthodontist and he has this book no you mentioned that I think you <laughs> my mentioned that you were going to do an issue on medicine. medicine that's right that's right and then I said oh and then I mentioned something all the different things my father did right I forgot to tell you that he used to do magic tricks oh my god too. Hopefully not while patients were anesthetized. Mm, who knows? <laughs> they don't. <laughs> anyway. So sorry. So, yes, I, I gave you the context that we were doing a medicine issue, right. which was really just a gleam in my eye at that point. And you had mentioned that your father had done this amazing publication, self-published in 1968. Uh, and I took a look at it and thought it was amazing. And the idea was just to publish some pages from it because uh, they're just extraordinary kind of gothic horror basically of people <laughs> right. kids mostly in these horrible like contraptions around their heads but also it's the history of headgear orthodontia right it's like the definitive history of headgear right. orthodontia right. and right. until then i don't think anybody else had really no. treated it that seriously no no so basically um we that was the plan and then i kind of started to think about it and i thought melissa is an amazing artist and why not if she's going to contribute something, why not ask her to contribute a project for the issue, somehow incorporating her father's book, and... And I said yes, not having any idea what I was going to do. You know. That's good. And then you made some, what do you, what do you call them, reproductions from the book? Right, you asked me to, to copy some of the pages of, right. of some of the illustrations and give them to you, and then you were going to figure out what you could do with them. And the first idea I had was to cut them up and make collages. Uh -huh. And then... One evening, I was sitting in my apartment, and I noticed my Andy Warhol. That's a cover that he did in 1962, one of his last um, commercial projects. And I and I thought, hmm, this is an idea. I could do something like that. It was like a traced um, portrait in profile, yeah. and then some like watercolor over it. But it was a fashion illustration, basically. Uh -huh. 
So then, so that was like one idea. And then one morning I woke up and I thought, wait a minute, I have another idea. And it was, um, came out of a, um, a sketchbook that I did at McDowell. And that's what's so interesting about going to art colonies mm. because you do things that you kind of play in a different way that you don't. You're free. Yeah. yeah. And you have more time. Uh-huh. And I cut up a watercolor of mine that I didn't like mm. and then placed it in this sketchbook. Which is right here and it's beautiful. Oh, thank you, thank you. And But never knew if it was anything, if it was resolved or whatever. And then I thought, okay, that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'm gonna cut up a watercolor and put it on and collage it onto my father's um, illustrations from his book. So the the resulting 15 collages are really, really extraordinarily beautiful. Thank you. Thank uh, you. They're so compelling and they, they not only uh, embellish in a very interesting way this original source material, but they really create a new artwork altogether out of the whole thing. And what I love is that I was looking through this book before I gave it back to you. <clears throat> and in the, you may have noticed that in the introduction, your father says, no, I haven't read it in years. Oh, you're kidding. In years. Lynch typed the manuscript, and my daughter, Melissa M. Meyer, and Mr. Torrance de Berg, who executed some of the art. Yes. Which I love, because <laughs> you're still executing some of the art in the, in the book. But, but what did you execute, I'm and how old were you? you? I'm not showing you, but actually the best, I think the best drawings in there are done by my father. Uh-huh. The lettering and everything. He taught yeah, they're himself beautiful. old English lettering. Yeah. He was the great hobbyist. Yeah. He didn't make any money, but he did he could do well he had all these hobbies well he was also interested in integrated dentistry and oh yes yes i forgot about that yes he um he's like one of those unsung heroes of the civil, civil rights, rights movement yeah and he trained black doctors mm-hmm. black dentists mm-hmm. and he had an integrated practice mm-hmm. and some of the people didn't like it some right. of the some of white, the other patients didn't yeah. come back hmm. but that he didn't care yeah it was like that so it's been a fun project, and, it, and my friends are, who don't really know my um, collage history are kind of surprised. I forgot what one friend said. Unexpected. Uh-huh. So was, well, you know, one of the things we love to do in the magazine is ask artists to do things that are not out of their comfort zone necessarily, but things that they wouldn't necessarily do anywhere else. Because, it, again, like hopefully like an artist colony, it's meant to be a place where you're you have freedom to try something new or do something different. And, or, or freedom and to fail. Freedom to fail, exactly. Well, in this case, you succeeded beautifully, you. and we're Thank thrilled you. to be able to present this, and we look forward to having a subscriber seat in just a few months. Very Thank good. you, and Melissa. I look forward. Thank you. It was a pleasure. We featured a themed audio compilation in every issue of SOPA since its inception. CD themes have ranged from spam emails to the quatrains of Nostradamus, and participating musicians have included Kimya Dawson, Grizzly Bear, Nico Case, Jens Lechman, and Sonic Youth's Lee Ronaldo, to name only a few. For SOPA's 22 Medicine, we asked 11 musicians to select one bodily organ and write a song about it for the CD. Oakerville River's Will Chef is zeroing in on the epiglottis. Brother-sister duo Fiery Furnaces have selected the eye, and rapper Cities of Eve will be musically dissecting the pineal gland. We're still several weeks away from getting tracks from the musicians, but the other day I got an unexpected treat, an early demo version of the song to be contributed by Baltimore band Boyster, 
recorded by its founder and lead vocalist, Ann Watts. I spoke with Watts via Skype yesterday, and that conversation will be followed by a full-length version of her gorgeous track, Mr. Spleen. Boyster is no stranger to making music inspired by different types of source material. I know you did that incredible score for the, the Intolerance screening at MICA in 2011. Um, and I was just wondering, when you, when you approach writing a song whose parameters have been dictated to you already by somebody else or something else, is it a different way to approach writing a song than it would be if it were just something completely from scratch? Yeah, well, it's always a blessing. You know, to have an assignment because it's not that hard to feel a connection, to find a connection. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like basically doing a little hunting to sometimes to find the connection. But when you said all we had to do was pick an organ, Mm -hmm. you know, for some reason I thought of spleen. And I think it's because I used to be really into Baudelaire. Uh, well, you know, you said when you, uh, you you sent me a solo version of the track before you went to the studio with the band, and you I think you said something like, uh, "In case I die before I get to the studio to record this." And sorry to sound morbid, but that's what happens after you read Baudelaire for a month. It is it's pretty heavy duty stuff. Well, we just finished this record with Jad Fair from Half Japanese, uh-huh. and the name of the record is Yes. And and Jad has this amazing ability to say yes every day, you know, uh-huh. and to say yes as an artist and to say yes to what's coming out of him, you know, yeah. which, which, man, as you know, that's 95% of it. Yeah. But it's really hard. Yeah. Because it's so much easier to say not really. Not you today. Know, not today. <laughs> And Baudelaire was a not really, I don't think I can make it type, you know? And yet, look what he made. He did it. And here we are, 100 years later, talking about poor Charles. And writing great songs uh, based on his work. Well, I I tried, man. He's not, it was not easy. I was going to just, you know, I was just going to lift some of his lines, but... It is, it is, it's too dark. You know, I'm, the boisterous thing is dancing in the dark and making it sound light. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's really kind of what we're coming from. So, so that's why um, working with Jab was so, you know, is so fabulous and in some ways um, kind of jarring. You know, it's jarring to work with people who are um, so who are really affirmative and who are really, uh, you know, effectual that way. You know, it's easier to just curl up and you know eat a little opium with Charles here. You know, <laughs> that's a metaphor. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a, it's a medical metaphor which works for the issue, which I appreciate. Oh, I'm so glad because I think there's more than one doctor over the course of of history who was an opium eater. Exactly. Well, you know, the other thing I love about it, we always ask musicians when we send out these invitations, you no. Know, we, we present the theme and we say, listen, you can be as literal or as oblique as you'd like in how you interpret it. And I love that you kind of, you were literary and oblique and literal all at the same time, because I, one of the lyrics is, I just love, you say, uh, uh, the blood that flows through Paris streets used to flow through you. And obviously that has several 
reference points, but one is the fact that the spleen does indeed filter blood. So, That's right. And it stores, right? It stores white blood cells and mm -hmm. platelets, and it recycles red blood cells. It's amazing. It's it's great, and it's it's a really really beautiful song. And uh, have you have you recorded the uh, the final version yet? We're practicing it tomorrow, and we're recording it next Friday. Oh boy, how exciting! Actually, we're giving ourselves two days. Well, I'm really, really thrilled to be able to offer this to uh, people uh, as an advanced kind of teaser for the issue, and and I'm thrilled that you guys were able to do something. It's really, really a beautiful track, and I'm I'm grateful to you. Oh, we're really, really grateful to you too. You do the most amazing work, and we admire you greatly. You are a real yes man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should live with me. <laughs> Chess made with the sweetest whiskey you
try, Mr. Splain, Mr. Splain, Splain, aha, 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 Mr. Splain, 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 aha, Mr. Splain, Mr. Splain, Splain, That's Mr. Spleen, a demo from Ann Watts, founder and lead singer of Boyster, whose final version of this track will be featured on the Esopus 22 Medicine audio CD. For more information about the issue, Esopus, or the nonprofit Esopus Foundation Limited, visit www.esopus.org or find us on Facebook at Esopus Magazine. I'm Todd Lippi. Thanks for listening.